Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 4. And while you're turning there, I want to remind you of the background of this letter and then what Paul's flow of thought has been up to this point in the letter. So here's the background. This was a letter written by Paul to a group of believers, a church in Ephesus. Now, Ephesus was a Roman city on the western shore of modern-day Turkey, best known at that time for the fact that the temple of Artemis was there, devoted to the worship of this false god Artemis, one of the seven wonders of the world, this temple. Also in Ephesus, or Ephesus was known to be a center for the practice of magic and the dark arts. So they were, the believers there, this would have been a tough place to be a follower of Jesus. And so Paul wrote this letter to bring them encouragement. So in chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, he introduces himself. Then in chapter 3, verse 14, he gets right into listing off seven spiritual blessings they have in Christ Jesus. And I would encourage you, when your faith starts to weaken, when discouragement starts to rise, when you start to feel weak spiritually, open up Ephesians chapter 1, read verses 3 through 14, pray over that scriptures, and it'll happen to you like Paul wanted to happen to the church in Ephesus. You'll be encouraged. So that's verses 3 through 14. Then in verses 15 through 13, Paul prays, God, help them to see and to feel the reality of these blessings they have in Christ. Now, Paul knows all this talk about blessings they have received could make them think that somehow they've earned them or deserved them. And so in chapter 2, Paul wants them to understand it's by grace alone, through faith Alone, So he reminds them, before you were saved, you were dead in sin, facing only God's wrath forever. Not only that, you were Gentiles, separated culturally from God's people, and yet Jesus saved you. God forgave your sins through Christ. He has joined believing Gentiles with believing Jews, joined them together to be this new entity, the church, through whom God's going to display his glory to the universe. But it's all by grace, alone, through faith, alone, in Christ, alone. That's chapter 2. Then as Paul comes to chapter 3, he knows that he's in prison writing this letter. And this could be discouraging to his readers because they know that Paul is God's chosen apostle to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And they could think, if Paul's the apostle to the Gentiles and God let him be put in prison, how important could the ministry to the Gentiles be? And so Paul addresses that in chapter 3, and he says, I am God's chosen apostle to the Gentiles, and God's plan is to combine believing Gentiles with believing Jews to be the church, and the fact that I'm willing to suffer to take the gospel to you Gentiles should show you how important you are for God's plan. So don't be discouraged by my imprisonment. My imprisonment is your glory, he says in verse 13. And then in verses 14 through 21, he prays that God would so strengthen these believers and so fill them that God's glory in Christ would be displayed through the church to the universe. That's chapters 1 through 3. So in Christ, God is raising up the church through whom he's going to display his glory in Christ to the universe. That's chapters 1 through 3. Now, just I want to pause A number of times in chapters 1 through 3, Paul uses the word church, and it's singular every time because he's referring to the universal church. He's not talking about any one local church. He's talking about the universal church here. And 
the universal church is all believers of, for all time, in all places, everyone who's trusting Christ as their Savior and their Lord and their treasure, that's the universal church. It's a beautiful entity, the universal church of Jesus Christ. But I want to bring a caution here, and that is some people, when they understand that there's a universal church, they think that since they're part of the universal church, they don't need to be part of a local church because they're part of the universal church. So they might visit one church for the teaching and maybe another church some other time for the, the worship and maybe visit this church over here for a prayer group or this church over here for the youth ministry. They're not part of any particular local church. They're just part of the universal church, they think. That's not how the New Testament talks. In the New Testament, the way to be part of the universal church is by being part of a local church. And if you're in a city in Oman and you're the only believer there, then you're praying for God to raise people up from Grace Church to come and plant a church in that city where you are. Here's the illustration. I'm, I'm gonna use a US football illustration. My apologies, okay. But if you were a US football player, professional football player, and you wanted to be part of the NFL, the National Football League, Imagine that if to do that, you said, this weekend I'm going to go be with the Minnesota Vikings. Next weekend it'll be the Dallas Cowboys. Maybe next weekend it'll be the San Francisco 49ers. Yes, okay, all right. Now, that person would not be part of the NFL. That person wouldn't be playing football, wouldn't be part of any team. It wouldn't be happening. That's what it's like if you say, I'm part of the universal church but I'm not part of a local church. Now, the reason I want to stress this is that Paul's vision and Paul's passion for what God wants to do through the universal church happens as every believer does all they can to be part of a local church and to pour in and to love. Because every believer, we need to be part of a, of a committed body of believers where there's elders leading, there's the word being teached, there's relationships, there's love, there's accountability, there's church discipline, there's, there's unity. That's what we need to be growing. So the way to do what Paul's describing in chapters 1 through 3 is by being part of a local church. Now, God is raising up strong local churches in Abu Dhabi. And if you aren't called to be part of Grace Church, then pick another one and join it. Okay? So we are all on the same team. We're all moving God's purposes together here in Abu Dhabi by being part of our individual local churches. Does that make sense? Okay, now back to the passage. Paul's vision, chapter 1 through 3, what he wants to do, what God is doing through the universal church. And now in chapters 4 through 6, he says, here's how this happens as you get involved in relationships with each other in your local churches. And in chapter 4, verse 1, through chapter 5, verse 2, Paul urges us to walk in love and unity. Notice how often Paul emphasizes this. Chapter 4, verse 2, bearing with one another in, what's the word? Love. Chapter 4, verse 3, be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Chapter 4, verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith. Chapter 4, verse 15, speaking the truth in love. Chapter 4, verse 16, the body builds itself up in love. So that's been Paul's theme from chapter 4, verse 1, up to where we are today, and that's going to continue to be his theme in today's passage. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, through chapter 5, verse 2. Now, one other little pause. Some of you are wondering, why are you crossing chapter barriers and taking one passage and, and not stopping at the end of chapter 4? Here's why. 
the chapter divisions in the Bible weren't put in there by Paul or Matthew or Isaiah. None of the biblical authors put the chapter divisions in. Those didn't show up until 1227 AD by the Archbishop of Canterbury, all the UK people, yes, okay, Archbishop of Canterbury, Stephen Langdon. And, um, but I think this time he should have maybe stopped it after chapter five, verse two. And I hope you'll see why in a moment. So that's why we're crossing chapter barriers. But look at what Paul writes, Ephesians chapter four, verse 30, through chapter five, verse two. Verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all, all, underline that word, bitterness, and wrath, and anger, and clamor, that's like yelling at each other, and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Okay, in verse 30, chapter 4, Paul urges us to not grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to grieve the Holy Spirit? Think about who the Holy Spirit is. The Bible teaches that there is one God, and one God, the one God, is three persons. There's not three gods. There's one God who is three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So, so the Holy Spirit is not a force or a power. We don't call the Holy Spirit it. We call him he. He's a person. It's like God the Father is a person. God the Son is a person. God the Holy Spirit is a person. And the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, has a unique role in the plan of salvation. God the Father plans salvation for all those he's going to save. Then Jesus the Son purchases that salvation for all those that will be saved. And the Holy Spirit applies that planned and purchased salvation to all those who are going to be saved. So the Father plans, the Son purchases, the Holy Spirit applies. So if you're trusting Jesus Christ this morning, it's because God the Father planned to save you, it's because Jesus Christ purchased your salvation, and it's because the Holy Spirit is right now applying this salvation to you. So I want to give you this background so that it will, it will dial up in your minds all that the Holy Spirit does for you. I just made a partial list here. First of all, the one mentioned right there in chapter 4, verse 30. The Holy Spirit is the one you are sealed with. God the Father seals you with the Holy Spirit. He pours out the Holy Spirit upon you and so stamps your heart with the experienced reality of God's love and Jesus' glory, and you are so impacted, and the, the presence of the Holy Spirit keeps you and protects you and saves you and moves you all the way through by his sovereign work, moving you all the way to heaven. You're sealed with the Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit is the one who causes you to be born again so that you repent of your sins and put your trust in Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit lovingly leads you and guides you. I'm sure many of you have experienced clear leading from the Holy Spirit this week. Last, a week ago, Wednesday, as I was praying about the members meeting Friday afternoon, this thought popped into my mind, we should look at this video. And I hadn't looked at it for four years. I looked at it, I just started to weep. It's like, oh, this is so moving. Yes, and we, anyway, anyway, you've experienced that. The Holy Spirit lovingly, personally leads you, guides you, directs you. The Holy Spirit is the one who sanctifies you. He causes you to grow in your love for others, to, to go deeper in your passion to study the word. He's the one who stirs you at various times to pray. And he'll start to pray, and he'll move, and he'll bless. The Holy Spirit sanctifies you. The Holy Spirit satisfies your hearts with living water. You can turn to him dry as a bone thirsty. You seek his face. You seek God in the word. And the Holy Spirit will fill you afresh with rivers of living water, satisfying your heart thirsts. The Holy Spirit bears fruit in your life, the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience. The list goes on. Those are all Fruit born in your life by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit enables you to worship. You've had times where you've walked in on a Friday morning and your heart is just so, feeling so far from God, like worship is just not going to happen today. And yet the Holy Spirit moves upon you. Worship arises. You behold Christ. You're loving him. You're adoring him. That's the Holy Spirit blessing you in that way. The Holy Spirit encourages you, comforts you. Oh, yesterday afternoon, I was just, I was tired. I was feeling confused about this message. Yes, just help me. I'm just, here I am. I don't know what to do. And he did. He helped me. And you've experienced this. He, he encourages us. He comforts us. He gives us a down payment of heaven so we have an actual taste of heaven's joys now. So we know heaven is real. Heaven is glorious. And just the list goes on and on. So think of all that we have in the Holy Spirit. Oh, see, we should love the Holy Spirit. Thank God for the Holy Spirit. Honor the Holy Spirit. But Paul says we can grieve the Holy Spirit. We can live in such a way that the Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, feels grief and sadness and sorrow about you, about me. We could live that way. And I want us to feel how serious that is. Why is that so tragic? And you, just think about this illustration. Imagine that you desperately needed a job. You've, you've got to get a job. And you have a friend who loves you, loves you, and hears that you need a job, and they want to help you. And so what does this friend do? This friend knows someone who's part of a company and headquarters of a different company, but they're hiring here in Abu Dhabi. So this friend contacts this person that they know in this other country and says, I've got somebody, you're going to want to hire this person. Just kind of goes out on the limb for you. You're going to want to hire this person. And they write a letter of reference to you by email. Send it off, boom. person says, okay. Your friend buys plane ticket for you to fly there for the interview. Your friend purchases the hotel rooms during your interview visit so that you have a place to stay there. Your friend promises the person 
that they know in the other company that you'll be a great fit for this job. Your friend does everything needed to set this interview up for you so that you can get this job. Now, imagine you fly to the interview. You go through the interview. You impress the interviewer. They hire you on the spot. Think of how happy your friend would be. Can you feel that? <laughs> It'd be so happy. And think of how happy you would be that your friend is happy. Wouldn't you be happy about that? Absolutely. But what if instead of it going that way, what if the night before you're going to fly to the interview, you go out with some friends to celebrate and you drink too much, stagger home, sleep through your alarm, miss the flight, miss the interview, don't get hired for the job. Think of how heartbroken and sad and grieving your friend would be who did so much for you. And think of how sorrowful and grieving you would feel that your friend has done all that for you. And, and look at what you did. Do you feel that? Now what the Holy Spirit has done for us is so much more than what this friend did to get the job. But that's why it is so tragic to think that we can grieve the Holy Spirit. Oh, we do not want to grieve the Spirit. We want to make the Holy Spirit happy. We want to please the Holy Spirit. And it's a sobering thing to think that every single one of us in this room right now, the Holy Spirit is either pleased and delighting in you or grieved and sorrowful about you. That's sobering to think about. So the question then is how do we not grieve the Holy Spirit? We don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. How do we not grieve the Holy Spirit? It's by what Paul says in verse 31. It's by, we'll just read the verse. By not doing these things, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. So the connection between verse 30 and 31 shows that verse 31 is what we need to do in order to not grieve the Holy Spirit. So what is bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, and malice? What is that? Well, let's say you, you bought a new car yesterday. Beautiful new car. Your favorite color, cherry red. The quadruple gloss paint job. I mean, you can just, it's just beautiful, it's just like glowing. It's a gorgeous car. You love this car. And you drive it to church this morning and you park it in the parking lot down there and you, you come up and you're worshiping the Lord and, and you're having coffee with friends afterwards. And, and, then, and then you walk back down to the, to the parking lot and, and you notice that a friend is parked right next to you and, and they're, they're, they're backing out ready to leave. And, and you notice that they're, they're not pulling it quite right and, and they make this massive dent right in your driver's side door. Quadruple gloss red cherry paint job ruined. Now, all the things that Paul mentions in verse 31 start to happen in your heart at that moment, okay? Bitterness rises up, right? It's a brand new car, right? Bitterness just rises up. Wrath and anger. Why couldn't they have been more careful, right? Do you feel that? And then you start clamoring, which means yelling, basically, Okay, so, so you're yelling, look, this is my brand new car. You are an idiot. Why can't you just back out of the parking lot? Where'd you learn to drive? Okay, so you're, that's called clamoring. Okay, just put that down there. And then you start engaging in slander a little later on the day. You call somebody and say, you won't believe what happened at church this morning. 
this jerk pulls out and dents my brand new car. Oh, you know them? Can you believe that they did that? They're so stupid. So that's what's called slander, okay? And then you find yourself imagining conversations you can have with them. And you're going to say this, and then you're going to say, and they're going to feel bad, and, and then you're going to do this. And that's called malice. Okay, you're planning bad things you're going to do to them. Okay? Bitterness, wrath and anger, clamor, slander, malice. And the Holy Spirit is grieving. The Holy Spirit is grieving. The third person of the Trinity right now, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, he's grieving over what's happening. Your bitterness, anger, wrath, clamor, slander, malice are causing the Holy Spirit to grieve. Now, why? I, th I think the reason why is because the Holy Spirit's passion is to glorify Jesus Christ. He just wants to display Christ in his beauty and splendor and majesty. And he does that by giving us, believers, such love for each other and such forgiveness of each other that it will display Christ to the world, that the world will just say, wow, that's amazing. But your anger and your bitterness and your clamor, your yelling, have dishonored Christ to the world. And that makes the Holy Spirit grieve, heartbroken, sorrowful. So what should we do instead of bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, and malice? Verse 32. Look what Paul writes. Be kind to one another. Tender-hearted. That is such a powerful word, isn't it? Tender-hearted. Forgiving one another. As God in Christ forgave you. So how did God in Christ forgive us? Paul wants us all to remember. Remember how God in Christ forgave us. Think about this. You had sinned against God. Dishonoring his infinite glory. And you, me, all of us, we deserved only God's wrath and judgment forever. That's all we deserve because of our sin. And yet, God was kind towards you. God was tender-hearted towards you. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, God in Christ forgave you. The moment you put your trust in Jesus Christ, God completely forgave you for all of your dishonoring of his infinite glory, all your past sin, forgiven, every bit of it, your present sin, forgiven, your future sin, forgiven, all of your sin, completely forgiven. Now, now think about what that means. Does God hold any of your sins against you now? Okay, you're not very confident about that, okay? Does God hold any of your sins against you now? No, if you're trusting Jesus Christ right now, none of them, none of them. Do any of your sins come between you and God at some level now? Church, we've got to work on this, okay? Read Ephesians, I thought we preached Ephesians 2 already, okay? Read Ephesians 2 again. Do any of your sins come between you and God now? No, you are completely forgiven. Does God mock you for your sins in front of other people, like the angels? or Can you believe it? No. See, God has completely forgiven you for your sins. He loves you. 
He cares for you. He rejoices in doing you good. The sins are not an issue. They are gone. They are washed away. They are as far as from the east as from the west, so far as he removed your transgressions from you. And that's how we are to live towards others. So read verse 32 again. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Okay, so there you are. You're walking out into the parking lot. You're seeing the person you know back out. Get the turning radius wrong. Scrunch your car. What would it mean for you to be kind at that moment? It would mean caring about the other person, right? It would mean feeling bad for how bad they feel, right? What would it mean to be tender-hearted? It would mean you want to encourage them. You want to help them, not have them feel so bad. You'd want to comfort them, right? You're all looking a little shocked here. <laughs> this is exactly what it would mean, church, exactly what it would mean. What would it mean to be forgiving? It would mean you do not hold it against them. You don't talk to other people about what they did, right? You don't let this incident come between you. You, you love them and you care for them and you desire their best. You've forgiven them. That's what it would mean. Now that feels impossible, right? I want you to feel this. It does feel impossible. It feels impossible. Why? Well, they have just brought you great loss. You, you, this is your perfect, this is like your car. Quadruple gloss paint, cherry red, okay? It's just beautiful, it's a thing of just perfection. And now it's gone, okay? It'll never be the same again. So they've caused you great loss. And that's what happens when we struggle to forgive other people, right? They've cost us something. Now, I don't want to make light of this in any way. Some of you have suffered heartbreaking costs from other people. Unbelievably painful costs from other people. And yet still, I've got good news for you. Jesus can enable you to completely forgive them. Completely forgive them. Now, you might think, well, that's impossible because when you see and feel this loss, the bitterness is so strong, the anger is so strong, the malice is so strong, it's like my heart's never going to change. But let me show you how quickly your heart can change. Let's go back to our illustration. You, you bought the car yesterday, you're here this morning, and let's say that as you're walking out to the parking lot, you get a text message from the CEO of your company. Mm, you just talked to him a few times. He says, I wanted to let you know I'm retiring and I want you to take my place. I know we haven't talked much, but I've watched your work. Very impressed. I want you to become the CEO of the company. Could we come over? Could we talk this afternoon? A PS, just in case you're not interested, your salary will be 20 times what you're making right now. <laughs> and while you're reading that, crunch! The car backs into your car. Now, how are you going to feel about that crunch of your car? Are you going to be feeling bitterness rising up inside of you? Are you getting the point of the illustration? You will not feel bitterness rising up inside of you. You will not feel anger and wrath. You will not do clamor. You will not do 
slander, and you will not even do malice. You will be full of what? Joy, excitement. Are you, are you getting this? Okay. Well, what? But your car was dented. Quadruple gloss paint job, cherry red, you know? Now, nothing's changed about that, yes, but you are realizing you have something that is so great that it more than makes up for the loss, right? Do you see that? See, this is so important to understand. That's how we are able to forgive. That's how. See, the point is, God has forgiven you in Christ. And what you have in Christ is infinitely more valuable than being promoted to the CEO with 20 times your salary. And I, I, I mean that it is infinitely more valuable. Infinitely more valuable. That's what Paul wants us to understand in verse 32. When he says, as God in Christ forgave you, he not only wants to show us what it means to forgive, that we forgive like God forgave us, he wants to show us this is how it's possible to forgive. It's because of all we have in Christ through forgiveness that we are able to forgive. Because what we've received in Christ is infinitely more valuable than being promoted to CEO with 20 times the salary. So here's how to go about forgiving. And, and some of you need to hear this desperately. Remember we talked a few weeks ago about if you let the sun go down in your anger, you give Satan a foothold. This is how to release Satan from that foothold. It's so dangerous if you go night after night after night with anger and unforgiveness because it gets worse and worse. It never gets, away. It gets better and it never goes away. It will destroy you spiritually. Here's how you go about forgiving. When you feel bitterness and wrath and anger rising up in you towards someone, understand what's going on. At that moment, you have forgotten what you have in Christ. What text message? Look at my car. That's what you're saying, right? You have forgotten the most amazing gift you've received through God in Christ. At that moment, you're thinking only about the loss this person has cost you. So as soon as possible, open up your Bible and start listing all that you have in Christ. I just I started a list here just to get you started here. What you have in Christ. You have the Savior who will never leave you or forsake you. You have Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. You have the ransom payment which covers all your sins. Mark chapter 10, verse 45. No judgment, no hell, no condemnation, eternity in the joy and glory and love of God forever. That's what you've got in Christ. You have the Redeemer who is freeing and will free you from all sin, John chapter 8, verse 31. You have the joy that can and will fill you to overflowing and transform every trial, John 15, 11. You have the truth that will never fail you. I was just reading yesterday, Hebrews chapter 13. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday. He's the same today. He's the same forever. You can bank on him today. He'll be the same 100,000 million years from now. He is the truth. The friend who's always there for you, John 15, 15. He is the judge who declares you perfectly righteous in him. That's his declaration. 
the rewarder who will welcome you into his joy forever, the great high priest who brings you into the very holy of holies, the presence of God, when you draw near to the throne of grace through him, the light of the world. You know those times when you're just like there's darkness and there's confusion? You can call upon Jesus. He will shine light on that situation. Oh, that's what's going on here. He's the bread of life. Every heart hunger that you have as you draw near to him in worship and prayer, opening up the scriptures, seeking his face, he will feed you. He's the resurrector. He'll raise you from the dead, bring you to heaven. Do you see how this works? And so you, you just make this list and you, and you are listing these and then you're praying over these and then you're thanking him for these and you're listing some more and you're praying saying, help me to see this. I have forgotten. That's why I've been so bitter. Forgive me. Show me all that I have in Christ. And as you do that, the Holy Spirit will come and move through the truth of those scriptures and your heart will be changed just as quickly as your heart would be changed if you got that text message from your CEO right after hearing the crunch of your car door being dented in. That's how we forgive, because we see all that God has given us through forgiving us in Christ. It's not just by gritting our teeth. It's not just by trying harder. It's by saying, I need my heart changed. I need my heart filled. I'm blind to all that I have in you right now. Open my eyes. Show me all that you are to me in Christ and change my heart. And he will every single time. It's like the text messages go off again. Oh, there it is again. That's right. Reminder. Okay. Now, Paul has one more point he wants to make in this passage. What happens when we do this? And look at what he says in verses 1 and 2. It says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now, verses 1 and 2 of chapter 5 repeat the same truths of the last two verses in chapter 4. Okay, verse 1, be imitators of God by loving and forgiving others. Verse 2, walk in love as Christ loved us and sacrificed himself for us. So what I want you to notice, though, is that what Paul says about Jesus, when Jesus laid his life down for us and sacrificed himself for us, this was a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. A fragrant offering and sacrifice. Now, those words are taken from the Old Testament. Dozens of times in the Old Testament, we read that God's people, when they brought their burnt offerings and sacrifices before the Lord, it was a fragrant offering and sacrifice because as the, as the meat is sizzling, burning there on the altar, right? The animal's being burned and that's like a barbecue or a braai, right? It's, it's like a fragrant offering before the Lord. And because the people's hearts were right with God, because they wanted to be forgiven, they were trusting him to forgive them through what the Messiah would do. Here's their offering as a picture of that and it was a fragrant offering and sacrifice before the Lord. And so Paul takes that Old Testament language and he uses it to describe what Jesus did as Jesus laid his life down and was a sacrifice on the cross for us. That was a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But not only that, Paul also wants us to understand that when we lay our lives down for each other and sacrifice for each other, that too is a fragrant offering and sacrifice before God. So I think that is a counterpart then to grieving the Spirit back in chapter 4, verse 30. 
words, what Paul wants us to understand is that there's two very different ways we can live. If we are bitter and angry and unforgiving, we are grieving the Holy Spirit. But if we are kind and tenderhearted and forgiving, then we are pleasing. We are a sweet aroma, a fragrant aroma and sacrifice before God. So we can grieve the third person of the Trinity, or we can be a sweet-smelling aroma before God, depending on how we are loving, forgiving, being kind and tenderhearted to each other. The way we live this last week is either making the Holy Spirit grieve or it's bringing the Father pleasure. So, which is it for you right now? What's been happening in your heart? Have you been kind towards other people? Have you been tender-hearted towards those who've hurt you? Have you forgiven those who've wronged you? Or have you been bitter, wrathful and angry, malice, slander, clamor, grieving the Holy Spirit? Now, let me give you two takeaways, what this means for us. First of all, understand how we Christians are able to love. Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you, you love one another. And this is how all people are going to know you're my disciples, because you have love for one another. That is, your love will be so unusual. It'll be so, so much stronger. It'll be so amazing that people say, it's from Jesus. We'll know, they'll know we are his disciples by our love. That's what he says. But, but why are Christians able to love this way? It's not because of how like, disciplined we are or how spiritual we are. It's not because of anything in us. The way we're able to love each other is because of God in Christ has forgiven us. It's because of all that we have through God's forgiving us in Christ. It's because we have received something infinitely better than promotion to CEO with 20 times salary. That's why we're able to love. If you got that text message while you're driving to the parking lot, you would not care about that person denting your car because of all that we have. Do you see that? So that's why we Christians are able to love. And I want to address that, especially for those of you who are here this morning who are not yet followers of Jesus Christ, so you'll understand how we forgive, and, and, and we don't do it perfectly, we're working on it, we're growing, okay? But that's why we're able to love and why we're able to forgive, so that you'll understand then what an amazing thing it would be to become a follower of Jesus, because you will receive forgiveness of all your sins. You'll receive the very presence and love of God in your life. You'll have all of God's promises, God's guidance, God's provision, God's wisdom. When you go through trials, it'll be God's comfort. He will raise you from the dead. He'll bring you into his presence forever. Just the list goes on and on like I listed it before. This is what you'll receive when you put your trust in Jesus Christ, and it will be so heart-filling that you will be transformed in your ability to love and to forgive. Put your trust in Jesus Christ today. Look at what he holds out to you. Look at what he offers to you. And look at how he's loved you in dying on the cross so you could be forgiven. That's how Christians are able to love. That's one takeaway. Second, I want you to think of which believer you need to love more. This is for you who are trusting Christ. I put it that way because none of you are loving everybody perfectly. 
nor am I. So think of who is it you need to love more? Who do you need to be more tenderhearted towards? Who do you need to forgive more? Are they in mind? Think of who they are. We've all got someone. I've got someone. Who do you need to love more? Now, how do you do that? See more clearly all that God has given you through forgiving you in Christ. See that. And let that so fill your heart that love flows out and forgiveness flows out and hurts are, are covered and hurts are healed. Wounds are healed and you can love. And love that person today. Love that person this week. Ask God, what would you have me do? And then as your heart gets filled, do it. And Christ will be glorified. The Holy Spirit will be happy and you'll be pleased. Let's stand together. <clears throat> Father, I pray that you would touch each of us who are already trusting Jesus and that we would know who we need to love more and what you want us to do. And that we would take time this week sinking our roots deep into all that is ours through your forgiveness of us in Christ. We would just sink our roots deep into all that we have in Christ and that our hearts would be filled and that we would be overflowing then with kindness and tenderheartedness and forgiveness. Do that upon us so that you'll be glorified, so that the Holy Spirit will be pleased and so that our brother or sister will be blessed. Do that, Lord, I pray. And Father, for, for those here who are not yet trusting Christ, let them see all that you want to be to them through Christ, all that you promise to be to them in Christ, infinitely more valuable than a CEO promotion with 20 times the salary. Let them see the reality, the truth of Jesus, and trust Jesus today, and then pour your grace and mercy and love upon them in forgiveness, I ask. Do this for Jesus' sake, we pray.